Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our brand new podcast in which we cover the impact of technology on the fashion and luxury industries with the people making change happen. My name is Shereen Patek, and before we get to this week's episode, I want to tell you a little bit about Glossy. Glossy is a brand new publication from Digiday Media, and at Glossy, we're going to be covering the huge changes that digital has wrought in the fashion and luxury space, from the effect of Instagram on fashion houses to the future of the luxury wearables industry. Glossy is for people obsessed with the future of fashion, and we're live right now at Glossy.co. So for our inaugural episode of the Glossy Podcast, we brought on board the founder of one of the hottest fashion startups around right now. Alan Tish is CEO and founder of Spring, the mobile shopping app that aims to make it easy for people to shop thousands of brands just on your phone. And mobile shopping is a big, brave new frontier for fashion brands right now. On this podcast, Alan and I discuss why department stores are so afraid to make the digital leap. And we also spend some time on how the brand itself is cutting out middlemen in an effort to make shopping easier for people. And Alan and I spend some time debating the VC market right now for fashion startups and whether it's a bubble that may soon burst. So welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you for having me. So spring, conversational commerce. That's all I've been hearing about in relation to spring in the last, I think, few weeks, really. Um, why don't we start a little bit before that? Tell me about why you started spring. Sort of what was this one need you were trying to fulfill? Yeah, it's, um, you know, and thank you for having me. And it's been a busy few weeks, definitely, with conversational commerce. But thinking back to, you know, the core of what spring is, when we started um, just over three years ago, there was actually two problems that we were trying to solve. So you've heard a lot over the past five years about the growth of marketplaces, right? And you've seen Alibaba lead the way over in Asia. And then, you know, if you think different marketplaces, Airbnb here in North America has really grown like crazy. And when we started this, um, in order for a marketplace to succeed, you actually need to fulfill a problem or fill a need for both sides of the marketplace, right? The supply and the demand. And for us, it was pretty simple. Um, on the supply side, which is what we really spent the first two plus years focused on solving a problem, it was how do we empower small brands to have direct consumer businesses. So if you think what marketplaces often do is disintermediate middlemen, one of the oldest middlemen in the world is the general store, the department store, and they take about 50 to 60% of the margin from um, brands. Mm -hmm. And traditionally, it was great, right? Barney's wants to sell your product. And you're like, oh my God, I got into Barney's. They're going to buy my product. And that's great. Mm -hmm. But they want an exclusive. And then next season, you come back to them and you're like, why don't you order more? And they're like, well, we'll take the same amount, but we want you to stay exclusive to us and you can't sell anywhere else. So it's all very hard to grow your business. And my sister-in-law actually had a, um, a leather handbag line, which she was developing. And I remember it was a few years ago and she said, hey, you know, I'm doing about two to three million dollars a year in business. And I'm like, oh my God, right? Like, yeah. that's the American dream. You're a 28-year-old woman, you graduated college, you started this business and you're four or five years money. later, two to three million dollars, right? And I'm like, oh, great. How much money are you making? She's like, nothing. And I'm like, what do you mean? And like, she's like four part-time employees and four interns. So it's not even like she's like spending big amounts of money on like offices or employees. She was hustling and she was doing two to $3 million in the top department stores in the country and couldn't make a dollar. And when we dug into it and understood why, it was pretty clear because the retailers, right, they were taking so much margin from her. But then when she would sell an item direct to consumer, she would make so much profit. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to be able to start an environment where they could profit from that. And it was pretty simple, right? Because I think we kind of have two core beliefs, which is that the future is direct to consumer. 
brands should be vertically integrated because that's in equal like that's in equilibrium states. So you've seen Zara, H&M, Topshop, or Everlane, Harry's, Warby Parker that have started that have just grown so fast because they're offering you similar quality at one third the price, right? And if you mm-hmm. go to Everlane and you read about transparent pricing, mm-hmm. that's really case in point there. But the problem with that is that customers always have and always will love the convenience of multi-brand shopping. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the physical world, we go to malls or department stores because I can go to one place, get 500 different things without ever having to get back in the car. So for us, when we started Spring, it was pretty simple. We wanted to give customers the convenience of multi-brand shopping Mm -hmm. while pulling in the best parts of a department store, such as free shipping, free returns, and great customer service, while still giving them access to these vertically integrated brands that had never sold in department stores before. So, uh, okay, because there's a lot of things that I need to unpack in that. I mean, the first one is the whole idea of e-commerce, and I think the Warby Parker model, and you know, Neil (coughs) Blumenthal has spoken about this at length, right? The idea is that you take away the middleman. You take away the pesky little stuff in the middle that basically causes the markups causes all those things which is why then Warby Parker can sell you $95 glasses which is why those things are cheaper there's still quality (coughs) there's still things you can give Um, what makes then you different from the middleman because you are in between to some extent the brand and the consumer Absolutely. We we consider ourselves a platform, right? And, you know, very similar to the way that real estate operators are. So we look at ourselves as the Mall of America or Fifth Avenue. So similar to Simon or Westfield. And the business model is different, right? So a retailer like Barney's is going to buy your inventory at one to, you know, one third to one fourth the cost of what the customer will pay for it. And they give you none of the data. They mark it down whenever they want. Whereas the difference with us is we take about a three to seven percent commission. Mm-hmm. The brand controls the customer information. The brand sets the price and the brand chooses the branding, what it looks like, what it feels like and how it's presented. So we're essentially giving brands the best parts of selling direct to consumer, which is the margin, the data and control, while still giving them the advantages of being in a multi-brand retailer. So it's really the best of both worlds. But then, And then how do you choose, because you've got your own brand to protect too. I mean, you've got, I mean, increasingly I think people think about you guys as a brand in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So you're not, I mean, you're not just providing like a platform, you're also now providing this other service. You've got, um, people trust you because you've got the free shipping and all that. How do you choose then who you will partner with? Yeah, it's brand alignment. And I think it's understanding who our customer is and delivering on the experience that they want. And we really think about um, a great shopping experience as part convenience and part serendipity. And what that means is our team is out there really trying to get some of the biggest and best brands in the world to make sure that our customers are conveniently able to shop here. But at the same time, we have an incredible curation team that takes a strong point of view for what are these small and emerging brands that we want to have on the platform. Because if you come to us and you want to shop something from Urban Outfitters, but then you discover something from an emerging brand like 3 by one who's a few blocks away, it's that moment where you start to create trust and loyalty like, oh, their quality is great. So how do we think about it? We really, we keep our, we go to every single trade show. We're at all the fashion weeks. We read blogs internationally, domestically, and more than anything, we're constantly buying and testing out product. The important things to us are one, the physical product is really what we consider to be on trend as well as on quality for what we demand. And then two is the customer experience. They have to have a great shipping and a great return experience in order for us to, you know, work with them. Yeah. Well, I mean, in your research, because you, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, before you started the company and even during it, you've been sort of following these trends really heavily. I mean, why have, why have big department stores 
and also high-end department stores not been able to kind of get this right? I mean, going beyond spring for a minute here. What is going on with the industry where... And yeah, the other day I was trying to buy, I was trying to buy something um, for someone else. And it's like free shipping was like unheard of. It was something that they would take, also take a lot of days to get to me. It was something, I mean, it it just felt like all these obvious things that I'd come to expect as a consumer, these guys just couldn't get right. And don't get me wrong, this wasn't a cheap, you know, box of like paper towels I was buying, right? This is something expensive. There's something somebody loves. What's going on in the industry that people can't seem to get this right, even though obviously the consumer is demanding it? I think... You know, it's interesting, right? Because there's kind of every industry is cyclical in some ways, right? Somebody rises to the top and then there's this faster, more innovative company that eventually blows past them, right? So for us, like I grew up using a Windows PC. Microsoft was the most valuable company in the world. And then you saw the astronomical rise of Apple and Google and Facebook out of nowhere, right? These small companies that at one time would have been laughable if they had been you know, talked about. And I think that a change in behavior is really, really hard, um, especially when you get to be a big company, right? So some companies will have 5, 10, 20,000 employees and they're operating in a certain way today. And to go and change everything they do is really hard. Um, you know, I think Nordstrom's, right, they're one of the most incredible retail companies in the world. Um, they became known for their customer experience, for their customer service and their in-store experience. And they were some of the best merchants in the world. But seeing them try to transition their business now to an online business has been really interesting. And they're actually doing a pretty good job. But customers aren't sitting here saying Nordstrom's is the best e-commerce experience in the world, right? And they're investing billions and billions of dollars in their logistics. So I think more than anything, it's just around a change of behavior. Because when you're very good at something, to then kind of say, forget that, let's go be great at this is really hard, right? Because that recipe has won for decades for some of these stores. And I think the idea of being merchants and being customer service centric is very different than being logistics and online operators. What about, um, I mean, you would have thought that like sort of the, the rise of Amazon, I mean, we call it the Amazon effect here, but yeah. it's like the rise of Amazon would have kind of made that the most obvious thing because yes, it's hard to do it, but like we need to prioritize this. I think there was a meme in the high-end fashion industry for a long time that people weren't going to buy luxury online and then people weren't going to buy luxury on their phone and Mm -hmm. people would want to try on $5,000 dresses before getting them for events. Um, And it all turned out to be wrong. Yeah, right. which is something your whole, your business was predicated on. Yes, the reality is people will buy anything on a phone um, Mm -hmm. and that will only continue to increase. And I think... um, Listen, I think at this point you could argue that the retailers that were late to the game are doing everything they can to catch up, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely everyone's talking about it today. But the reality is that these smaller companies that are digital, natively digital, um, they're just faster at innovation. And I think customers also trust them. I think the last part is that customers want an authentic connection, right? And, you know, if you think back to the 80s and the 90s, advertising was around catalogs. And it was around these full glossy pages and they were Mario Testino, you know, choreographed campaigns and so much production went into selling an individual dress. Whereas today it's literally about taking an Instagram at Coachella on an influencer Mm -hmm. and 12 hours later that dress sells out. And I think because of that change, customers want a much closer connection with the designer, with the personality, with the brand. Mm 
And because of that, they're going straight to the brand and they trust them more and they want to interact with the brand because they learn about the story. Whereas in the past it was, oh, take this Burberry item and wear it with these, you know, Saint Laurent mm-hmm. shoes and Nordstrom's would be the curator. I think in today's world, editors, brands, designers, celebrities, and influencers are the ones that are actually creating trust around what to buy. But but going back to the Coachella thing, I mean, those like serendipitous, like here's Kendall Jenner looking gorgeous at Coachella. I mean, a lot of those shots, not of Kendall, but a lot of those shots are edited to yeah, the I, degree just as, you know, and I'm talking I about was, I mean, some of those bloggers. I was at just, Coachella this past right. weekend and I was saying to Melissa on the ride down here that... <laughs> It, it made me almost lose all respect for Instagram because there was this moment when I was walking across the field at Coachella and I saw these three women that were laying on the ground for literally 15 minutes and one was like, oh, can you pull my hair in this direction? Like my shirt's like wrinkled and I'm looking at it and like the amount of effort that goes into an right. Instagram post today is terrifying. Right, so it's exactly the amount of effort. I mean, in pure man hours at least is yeah. about as same as but like it, Nordstrom would do that. The sure, but it's shifting now, right. right? Now you're starting to see Snapchat take over as a new platform and that's live video. Mm-hmm. And you've seen, you know, it's interesting. I said to someone, I'm like, Coachella this year marked that moment for me where Instagram was no longer the platform, mm-hmm. where Snapchat live video is the platform because you saw everyone's acts were coming on live video, live video, live live video and I think what's happened right Facebook comes out if you think back to when Facebook first rose all of us were posting pictures after Friday night we would upload 30 40 50 photos to Facebook and it was so much fun right it was authentic and you saw pictures of your friends and you stayed in touch with people from high school then it started to die Instagram took over right and people at first were posting photos but everyone felt like they were a professional photographer because of these filters but then after a while, the brands started to come in and play and they started to pay influencers It was like your, it was like your uncle getting in there. And was yeah, like, and it was right. like, oh, it's not cool anymore. Now everyone's moving to Snapchat because it's the most authentic platform, right? It's unedited live video in the moment. And I think what it's proven is that the more and more that internet proliferates throughout America, the more authentic connection that people want, either with their friends or with brands. So they're going for live video in the moment. So it's just becoming more and more rapid, such as the retail pace, right? People used to have two to four seasons. Now they're going with weekly releases. Um, in some ways, the internet has led to like mass ADD and need for constant newness, which is a little bit terrifying. I don't know. The, the other thing I would guess with that is that people are just trying to run away from brands as much as possible brands are just chasing them where they can get like they ruined Facebook then they ruined Instagram what's coming next yeah and and I I think you know I think to me what it is is that customers can see through the bullshit so the second that they see someone who they've looked up to forever that is you know let's say they're a biker and they wear black leather all the time and then all of a sudden they're wearing a colorful DVF dress on Instagram they're like oh they got paid right and I think people see through it um, and it's fine if a brand is, you know, preaching to you from their channels, but the second that brands are trying to like, the whole influencer marketing thing is a little terrifying. It just seems misleading, right? That brands are paying influencers ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars for an individual post is a yeah. crazy concept. Do, uh, what about your? I mean, where has sort of Springs kind of as you've grown as a brand, you know, beyond sort of the platform? Yeah. I mean, how have you changed um, the way you sort of market yourself? How do you market yourself? 
Yeah, it's interesting. And we've learned a lot. When we first started, we were really the purest form of a marketplace, which meant uh, when we first launched, we had about 125 brand partners. And we had 125 different shipping and return policies, 125 different customer service phone numbers. And we really viewed ourselves as a pure platform then. It was like, let everything happen for itself. Let the brands and the customers connect directly and don't worry about it. And I think we learned very quickly that when it comes to shopping and especially spending money, creating trust is the most important thing in this world. So we now have free shipping, free returns platform wide. We do all customer service. Um, so what we've really done is subtly started to create this relationship where we wanted to build this spring brand as a brand that you can trust and a brand that's always on the cutting edge and introducing you to cool new things. But we don't want to be seen as Anna Winter. We don't want to be seen as, um, you know, a, a leading fashion designer necessarily, but more of a curator of amazing stories and a place where you can come and shop all these incredible stories. What is, um, what is the behavior change? Like, what have you learned about behavior change? Because like you said, that meme about, you know, nobody's buying the $5,000 handbag. Um, I think that, I think we're, you know, getting to that point where we know that that's not true. But at the same time, you've also started carrying not just five thousand dollar yeah. handbags and not just the really high end stuff. You you mix everything. You've got, you know, the fast fashion brands in there. Yeah, and you're sort I of think, mixing it. I mean, two things, right? I think one is customers today are what I would consider to be the def and at every angle, right? They're high low shoppers. Um, mm -hmm. We all love. We all have our basics, right? We all have a few brands where we buy from them. They're usually pretty accessible, they're comfortable, they're pretty basic, and then we all have those statement pieces, right? And I know for me, like, I'm a guy that wears pretty simple jeans, a plain t-shirt every day, but then I wear awesome shoes most days. Well, and that's if you where can't I see him, you ha I have to say this, he, he's not, he's wearing uh, flip-flops yeah. today, so. It's the first, the first sunny day in New York, you know, I had to take advantage of it and <laughs> act like a true startup guy. But um, I think what we're realizing, and you know, what we see on Spring is that oftentimes, when it comes to basics, um, people are shopping a lot of the fast fashion, but then as you get into handbags and shoes and accessories, there's still a desire for some of these big name European luxury brands um, that are statement pieces. And in terms of the behavior change, I think what we see is that first time purchases on a phone are oftentimes much lower average order value than the second or third. And that makes sense, right? What so is like, your average order value for a first purchase? Um, in between $70 and $80. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and then it'll go you know, above 100 after that in terms of average order value. So it's like, let me try something. Let me make sure it shows up. Let me make sure I trust them. I love the brand. Oh, and then I'll come back and buy that big thing. And that's even something that's true with a lot of luxury brands, right? If you walk into you know, some of the highest end luxury brands today and you walk into their retail stores, oftentimes you'll find in the front phone cases, little wallets, keychains. What can we get you to buy for less than $100 to make you a loyal customer? And then over time, really get you for the more of those statement um, pieces that'll last for decades. What is, um, so have people kind of, I mean, going back to that mobile order thing, I mean, is it is it trust? Is it ease of use? I mean, what are people looking for? Because I think, I mean, you know, the, the interesting thing about Springs or when you're shopping on there feels a lot like an Instagram feed. It's got that. And obviously the, the, a lot of that's deliberate. It's mimicking actual consumer, the way consumers yeah. actually use phones, right? Um, but if, I mean, you earlier said to, earlier that people would buy anything on mobile. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like there's still a trust. There's still a little bit of a trust barrier there with certain yeah. consumers. I mean, how have you sort of, what have you found about I them? I think, listen, there's no perfect recipe for commerce, right? But we all kind of cut it in our own ways. I think the three buckets that I tell our team that we have to be great at, um, one of them is content. 
one of them is the product experience, and the last is the customer experience, right? So if we just go through those, the first one, content, what that means is it's 2016. If you don't have multiple high-definition photos of a product, you really should not be in this business. And today it's almost becoming necessary that you have a lifestyle photo, right? So the journey that people want, they want to see it in context. They want to see someone where it get inspired and then they want to drill into the details. How does that butt in? What is that material? Things like that. So one is content. And I think it's really important. High definition photos, four to five photos, and ideally a lifestyle photo. Who's sending photo. you the photos? The brands send them The brands to? are, yeah. The brands okay. are controlling Do you vet them? them? And you're we sort work of saying with, like, prior to bring on or? prior to bringing on a brand, we'll look at their content okay. and make sure that it's aligned with the principles of the platform. Okay. The second one is the product experience, right? That's simply people want apps today because it's a better experience. And if you're going to build an app, make it great, make it fast, make it intuitive, make it comfortable for customers. The thing I push our team on a lot is don't reinvent something just to reinvent something. Only reinvent it if you believe that you can make it a better experience, right? So you mentioned that idea of an Instagram-like feed. The reality is that news feeds, right? Facebook first invented it, then Twitter had one, then Instagram had one. And the reality is that we as customers have all become very comfortable with consuming large amounts of content with the idea of a chronological feed or a vertical feed. So we didn't believe that we needed to reinvent that. So instead we said, let's give something to customers there which they're comfortable with. Whereas when it came to mobile checkout, we said, we're not going to send you out to a third-party website. That's where we're going to innovate, right? What do you, what's your mobile checkout? What are you using? How does it work? Because I we know- built, We built it all ourselves. Because you, you can buy it too easily. I know that uh, yeah. me and our reporter here, Hillary, were sitting sitting, uh, sitting down and she was showing me something and she almost just like sat there and bought this $800 yeah. thing. And I was like, wait, what are you doing? We, we, get, some ac- we get some accidental purchases, especially it's once Happy easy. Hour comes around. It's just, it's, <laughs> you've made it too easy. <laughs> and then uh, I think the last one, and um, is really customer experience. And that's what you hit on, right? And that's trust. And what we found there is it's consistency as well as relationship. Um, consistency is just people want to know free shipping, free returns. Yet again, it's 2016. If you're not shipping something for free, like what are you doing? Don't be profiting off of the customer in that way. And the second one is response time. So I think people inherently will trust you more and more if when they reach out to you, you're very responsive to them. If it takes them two to three days to get in touch with customer service, like, it's nerve wracking, right? You're like, oh my God, this charge just showed up on my credit card and they haven't responded to me for two days. Mm-hmm. I'm not coming back, right? I just had a lot of anxiety over the weekend. I don't want to deal with that anymore. Well, which brings us nicely to, you know, to circle back to chatbots. Yeah. Um, why, I mean, I noticed, A, I knew, firstly, I noticed that there was a lot of excitement about Spring getting on, um, getting on sort of Facebook Messenger, doing the chatbot thing. There was just a lot of excitement about it. Yeah. Why, why did you do it? Uh, and what have you learned? So much. I mean, it's already learned. Yeah, it's why well, it was pretty simple, right? I think two reasons. One is having the opportunity to partner with someone like Facebook um, is a no brainer. They're one of the fastest moving, most innovative companies in the world. And they're also just great partners, right? And I think when they came to us and said, we have this idea, we're launching this new platform, we've had this dream of what could what does personal shopping look like through there? We were like, wow, this is amazing. And so they came to you? They came to us, uh-huh. yeah. And when we sat down with them and we kind of said, okay, well, we only should do this if it's a good customer experience, right? And we realized very early on, um, we started coining this phrase, conversational commerce. What does it mean? And it's a buzzword. But then, you know, someone said early on in the meetings, so they're like, this isn't new. This is how shopping's been happening for decades and decades and decades, right? Like, think back to the Sears catalog. You used to get a catalog, you would call up and talk to someone on the phone. Then it became, you know, if we think about today, a lot of high-end shopping in New York actually happens if you talk to retailers through personal shoppers and stylists. 
And the way that most personal shoppers and stylists function is they send you text messages all day long with pictures of stuff. And they will say, do you like this? Eh, no, something more like this, a little bit shorter. No, I want black, not red, and right? they get to know you. They get, they to, get know to know you. you. And then they make better and better recommendations. But oftentimes there's so much commerce that's actually being done over text message and email today mm -hmm. that we said to ourselves, like, we're not really creating a whole new experience. It's not like we're trying to train people on a totally new behavior. It's just a new destination. And it's also automated. So at first, it's, there's, well, the, the, there's the a pretty big, big one here. Yeah, there's because, a jump. There's a jump. Yeah, the, the, go, I the a few skipping steps. over the, yeah. the fact. I mean, the, because the difference is, is that again, I go into you know uh, a Bergdorf's or I go into even a you know a boutique on its own. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be a department store. The difference is, this is you know Jane Smith, and Jane knows me, and I've gotten to know Jane as well. I mean, yep. this is a bot. This is not a person. Yeah, a bot. We can and will get to know you. It just takes some time, right? And I think um, that's the. That, I think that was the interesting thing for us is it's once we. If you were to answer five or ten questions for us around what brands are you interested in, what prices are you interested in, what types of materials do you like, who's your favorite celebrity, what's your favorite band, all of a sudden we might know you a little bit better to have a little better sense. But when you show up out of the blue on the first day and you're like, you assume that we're just going to be able to deliver to you the perfect recommendation, that's not always going to happen. So, you know, listen, and when you, when you decide to be the first ones to do something, you always have to expect that it's going to take some time, right? If you think about iOS, the mm -hmm. App Store, Apps didn't take off right away, right? Because a lot of the experiences were pretty poor, went quiet for a little. Then after six, 12 months, all of a sudden there started to be some good apps. Mm -hmm. Now people couldn't live their lives without the apps they have on their phone, right? And I think this is one of those where it's a brand new canvas. We've already learned so much in the first week of turn around what customers want, how we can make it what better. What was like the one thing you learned just that, that you just did not think of? Just like this one thing that you're just like, I had not thought that a consumer, that a cons customer would want this or not want this. Um, I think that the there is a big education curve for customers on interacting with bots. And I think a lot of that has to do with the movies, um, weirdly enough, right? Because... Even since our childhood, we all kind of grew up watching these movies that were set in the future in 2020 and beyond. And, you know, we saw Mission Impossible and other things. And all of a sudden, people just talk, right? And they talk and computers would get them perfectly. They would never mess up in the movies, right? It well, wasn't until they went nuts and became, yeah, and, and then started killing you. Killed you, you right? and yeah. next Makina and things like that. <laughs> but in reality, like computers always got it right. And I think that there's going to be a pretty strict learning curve here of like, we're in the first inning when it really comes to artificial intelligence and bots and things like that. And I think that they're pretty good at the basics right now. But if you go outside of the basics, like we had someone ask if they if we could help them buy a tiger, for example, right? And we can't. I'm sorry. We can't do that. The amount of trolls on yeah. this platform. But, I mean, I could imagine people just yeah. getting... So I think it's going to take some time. Um, one of the, the experiences in terms of, you know, um, bots that I've been really impressed with um, outside of Facebook, which is, you know, just blown me by, away by the opportunity is also if you look at Amazon. Um, so Amazon with the Echo did a really good job because what they did was they limited the amount of things that it could do, right? And they said, it can tell you the weather, it can tell you the news, it can play music, and it can order things from Amazon. And over time, it can order things like an Uber or a pizza from Domino's now. And I think by being clear with customers and educating them like, hey, we can only do these 10 things today, you set the expectations, right? And 
when you, you know, there was so much excitement around Facebook, right? The biggest social network in the world, they have four of the five biggest apps in the entire world that they were going to show up on day one and do this. But I think it's important to think back to the culture of Facebook, right? Facebook's culture is an engineering culture, a hacker culture. They put things out there, they iterate on them quickly, they break them and they make them better and better and better. And I have full faith that this will be a product and a platform that will grow over time. Mm -hmm. This is just the first iteration of it. Um, I want to, we don't have a lot of time left, but I do want to talk to you about being a startup in fashion. You know, it reminds me of, uh, it, it's like when all the, all the food startups came out and then everyone yeah. was doing a food startup, right? It's like everybody, every single person I know. Um, and then I, I do feel like that there's this like new dawn right now for a few different types of startups. I think fashion is one of them. Um, there's some other sort of movement happening in health tech and agritech that's Absolutely. sort of really interesting. Um, I mean, what is, what is it like out there right now for a, for a lonely fashion startup? I mean, is it, is it sort of riches? Is it, you know, are funders just waiting there for, for these guys? Um, is retail because retail has always been something people are a little afraid of yeah <laughs> it's definitely no startup no matter what industry you're in it's just automatic riches right we all read about the the oh my god success stories in the wall street journal but we don't read about the the graveyard of startups that happen every day and there's hundreds of thousands of them um, that aren't the rosiest story and oftentimes these things take you know real time effort and work and i think that um it's definitely an exciting time. I think that you have to bifurcate because there's a difference between people that are starting brands making physical products versus people that are kind of starting technology companies. And, you know, when the idea or the, the phrase startup was coined, it at first was limited primarily to like companies that are solving things through the use of technology. I think today it's become far ranging for anyone that's doing anything entrepreneurial. Um, Everybody wants to be at a startup. Everyone wants to be at a startup. And that's great for us from a hiring point of view. You know, we're seeing people that that we're traditionally going to banks and stuff, you know, saying they'll take half the salary to come to startups, which is awesome. In terms of the retail space, it's it's really interesting because it's one of the hardest. Um, and the reason for that is it's so competitive. You have these old school retailers that are established that are oftentimes publicly traded companies. Then you have these startup brands which are vertically integrated. And then you have the two monsters. Um, and you know the monster everyone talks about is Amazon, but the other monster in uh, e-commerce is also eBay, right? And these are huge companies, but both of them were started over 20 years ago. And the thing that we talk a lot about is that there is going to be an upstart startup that's coming up and passing them by at some point in the future, right? Well, but, the, but the pace of change is different, right? It's like Google yeah. took X amount of time to reach the market cap, you know, the same amount of time. Everything's taking less time. Sure, but, you know, if you look today, Amazon and eBay are operating for the most part, without anyone really competing with them, right? People and have tried. Pe oh, tons of people have tried. Shit. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people have tried and a lot of people will continue to try. But I think that there is some investor skepticism at this point of like, can you really beat these two? But that also excites me, right? And that excites the smartest investors because they're saying, well, the market opportunity is massive because if you win, look at this company, look at how big they are. Right. And there's not many people entering this space. So that's something that you want to invest in. Um, so I think, you know, listen, there's some investors today that with the way the markets are looking for guaranteed returns, mm -hmm. but that's actually not what venture capital is, right? Venture capital is you're supposed to take a bet for a, a high faith. reward. It's a leap of faith. You're investing in the team and the people. So I think we all got a little bit too comfortable for, you know, three to five years there when there were tons of exits. But the problem was also that these valuations were being driven up on paper. 
And that was the case with, with it's not just retail tech. It was Everything. pretty much in every single, and that's why, I mean, the, I think the big question now is sort of, and it's, there's already talk of this, right? There's already talk of the bubble having burst in the Bay Area, especially in Silicon Valley more than here. I don't, I don't, buy, that. I don't here. buy that, right? Like the bubble bursting is in, oh, they got valued by, you know, they used to be a $5 billion company. Now they're valued at $2.5 billion companies. Like that's not the bubble bursting, right? That happens in public markets all the time. It just doesn't happen overnight because there's information daily around trading prices. I would argue that, you know, of all these unicorns, these $1 billion plus valued companies, many of them are gonna end up being great standalone businesses. Just because they're having a little bit harder time raising money doesn't mean there's a bubble here, right? And mm -hmm. I think that the difference is, you know, if you think back to the 90s, a lot of businesses that were started then were just websites that were doing something that already existed in a way and they weren't really replacing anything. Whereas if you look at some of these businesses today, they're totally new industries or they're replacing the way that something is done, right? Airbnb and Uber are not going anywhere. These are companies that are playing roles in everyday Americans' lives daily. But in general, more, ca more cautious optimism in the market? No, because my, like, I don't think valuation matters, right? If that's if valuation is your metric of success, then sure, I'm going to be cautiously optimistic. In my measure of success, like, are there going to be startup companies that are solving problems for people and growing to be bigger than they ever have before? I could not be more optimistic, right? The speed at which you could do it is faster and faster. It's becoming cheaper and cheaper. If you just look at something like the cost of development today, right? You used to have to have huge server farms. Today, you basically just sign up with Amazon and in 10 minutes, you're online. Um, so the, the cost and the programs to support startups are there. Valuations, um, who cares, right? As long as you as a founder can get the funding to continue your journey to, to build your mission, it doesn't matter. Cool. Well, it's a good optimistic note to end on. Alan, thank you so much for being on the Glossy Podcast. And thanks to you for listening. If you like what you heard, leave us a review, leave us five stars, send us a love letter, send us anything you like. Thank you again. <laughs>